Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. So I just want to welcome everyone here, whether this is your first time, you are a guest, or whether you are a longtime family member here. This is our preaching here at Orchard Bible Church. We're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles there now to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Today we'll be covering the first 11 verses of chapter 16, but for our reading, I want to back up one verse into chapter 15, verse 58, so that's where we'll begin. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is a way that we can honor our Lord and remember the value of the scriptures that we have here, and uh, thank you. I'll be reading again from chapter 15, verse 58, and then just one verse into chapter 16 to get us started. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Will you pray with me, our Father? We come in the name of Jesus, and we are so thankful for your word. It gives us instruction and correction and profitable for reproof. We, we thank you for everything that is here for us today knowing that every portion of your word has something to say. So help us listen, help us tune in, help us be ready to respond to what it is you have for us this morning. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Perhaps you've experienced something like this. You go away on vacation, and it's the most relaxing and restorative time just an amazing opportunity. Then you come back home. And there's suitcases to unpack. And the dirty laundry is piled up. And there's mail to go through, including the bills. Welcome to reality. Well, our message today is perhaps a bit like that. In the last few weeks, we've been taken to the heights of the mountaintops as our pastors have taken us through Paul's words here exhorting us about what life will be like in the future. And the beauty and the amazing reality of that future, resurrection. Now today we're going to talk about taking up a collection. From resurrection to collection. But do not despair. As we go forward through today's passage, I trust that we'll recognize there really is great joy in following the Lord in obedience. For just being faithful in the humdrum of daily life. In this case, speaking about taking up a collection. Thus our title in your outline there. Faithfulness in giving, abounding in the work of the Lord. Because as we shall see, giving really is one aspect of the work that God has for us. Giving truly is a way to abound in the work of the Lord. The passage itself is pretty straightforward. 
There are not a lot of difficult things to try to iron out. Throughout our series in 1 Corinthians, we've seen Paul write to the church about some deeply theological truths, but also some very practical ones. And today's topic is one of those extremely practical topics with great bearing for the function of the church in the first century and in the 21st century. Because of this, the elders want me to take a lot of time today to just highlight some of the practical things that we do here at Orchard, particularly as it has to do with giving. And as we shall see, there is more to giving than merely the financial component. But first, we need to consider our passage. I began my scripture reading with the closing verse of chapter 15, because though it's not technically a part of our passage, it forms the very foundation for what the Apostle Paul wants to convey. So, by way of introduction, we'll begin there with a quick quick review of what Paul does. He makes a summary statement and delivers a command and an apostolic imperative, if you will. So, point one in the outline, faithfulness from theological to practical. If you glance through your Bible at chapter 15 there, just take a look at the chapter headings if your Bible makes use of those, and you'll see that it covers the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of those who know Christ, the resurrection body, what that will be like, and the amazing mystery and victory of life over death. If you haven't heard the message from the last few weeks, you should catch up on those. Our preachers have taken us through the apostles' power-packed review of the gospel, culminating in the stunning information, the promise of life after death, and a glimpse of what that resurrected life will be like for those who are in Christ. Our Savior has been resurrected. We will be resurrected. We get new bodies. Death will be destroyed, and sin will be no more. Or as our brother Alex put it last week, death and all his friends are no more done for. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, because of that, my beloved brothers, read it with me, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This verse provides not only a powerful conclusion to chapter 15, but also really looking back at all of the entire thrust of Paul's letter. In all that I've been telling you, Paul says, from the beginning of my letter until now, just do it. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, be faithful. And then Paul says, in essence, and here's one way to do that. Let's talk about that question you guys asked about taking up the collection. Of course, from a structural standpoint, chapter 16 begins a new section, but Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, structured his letter to the church in Corinth in this way, and it informs our understanding to look at the previous context and keep that in mind. So, even though chapter 16 starts a new section structurally, there is continuity theologically. Because, hey, the theological always informs the practical. The truths of the gospel always call for a response. 
So to sum it up, immediately after giving the command to be steadfast, immovable, abound in the work of the Lord, Paul takes up the very practical question, taking up the collection. So all that by way of introduction. Now to today's passage, point two in your outline, instruction regarding the collection. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now, in our study, we have seen these words now concerning when Paul is ready to introduce a new topic, a topic that the church in Corinth has questions about. In this case, collection for the funds for the saints. The saints here refers to the church in Jerusalem, which has experienced severe famine, hardship, associated with it. In other places, Paul has expressed great concern for the Gentile churches to contribute to the needs of the Jewish saints in Jerusalem. Consider Paul's words here as he says, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so also you are to do. Hey, Paul, that sounds a bit bossy. You asking or are you telling? Um, he's telling, Right. One version aptly translates it this way, as I ordered the churches in Galatia. Point is, Paul really means it. And he fully expects that the church will comply with his directive. So, continuing in verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Let's take that phrase by phrase. First day of the week here is an indication that the church in Corinth was meeting in some fashion on Sunday, first day of the week, rather than on the Sabbath. Minor detail. What is important to us is that when the church meets, they should plan to give a contribution. Give regularly. Let's also note that it applies to each person in the church. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. The church in Corinth had some very wealthy individuals in it. Paul did not say, you rich guys, be sure to give a lot. The directive is for everyone to give. Paul's intention is not that a few wealthy donors bear all the load. Rather, each individual takes part. And note the principle of growth. Regular giving leads to accumulation. Thus, the phrase, store it up. Next phrase, as he may prosper. This is key. This echoes the language in Deuteronomy 15.14. This chapter deals with the proper treatment in releasing an indentured servant during the year of Jubilee. The master is to rightly treat his brother, who in all actuality has been serving as a slave, if he served his slave well, the master is to release him with generosity commensurate with how the master has been blessed. Here's how that reads, Deuteronomy 15, 14. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord has blessed you, you shall give to him. The point, giving is in proportion to God's generous blessing of the giver. But next, let's look at the reason Paul is giving these instructions in his letter. So that, he says, that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul's goal is that the collection be already gathered. 
presumably so that he does not have to take time for or expand energy or repeat the directives. Perhaps it's so that he can concentrate on ministry when he comes rather than raising funds. Furthermore, recall that this church is already embroiled in controversy and nothing engenders controversy quite like talking about the expectation that people depart with their money. By the way, let me just check. Am I making you nervous here? Are you guys okay with me talking about money like this? Are we at odds? Just checking. If we're good, I'll go on here. We may only guess at the reasons, but Paul clearly wants to get the ball rolling on this collection and not have to do it when he comes. Fun fact, apparently it doesn't work because he takes up pretty much two full chapters in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, telling them again about giving. Verses 3 and 4. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So here Paul reminds the church of the proper procedure to just really set a standard which will provide both accountability and integrity. These letters are a way to vouch for the identity of the individuals and to maintain their integrity, ensuring that everything is above board. This was common practice, that men of reputation would help transport funds. This would safeguard the money against outside influence, thieves and bandits, but also against embezzlement from within. Paul will strictly follow proper protocol in getting this money where it belongs, to the saints in Jerusalem. This reflects great wisdom, really, an understanding of human nature and the risks that are involved when large sums of money are at stake. Helping the church in Jerusalem in their time of need is a significantly meaningful gesture of solidarity between the Jewish and Gentile believers. In addition, Paul believes that the Gentile churches have a real spiritual indebtedness to the mother church in Jerusalem. I mentioned that Paul has two full chapters in 2 Corinthians about giving. Much of that speaks to generosity. For now, we'll have time just to highlight one point. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 related to giving, beginning in verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The idea here is that no one should have too much so that no one should have too little. Think of Jesus' teaching in the, what we call the golden rule, maybe paraphrased this way. Treat others like you would like to be treated if you were in their position. That's the idea. Here again, we see, just like in 1 Corinthians 16, the amount of the gift is not some fixed percentage, but rather is commensurate with God's blessing. It's proportional to the income. Paul doesn't mention a percentage, 
So, what about tithing? Perhaps you grew up in a church tradition where as a collection was being taken on a Sunday morning, you heard it referred to as tithes and offerings. I've said that phrase myself, but I'm not going to anymore. Offerings, fine. But really, there's nothing in the New Testament about tithing. So let's think through that a little bit. Really what the Lord wants in the New Testament teaching, instructing me to give to the work of the Lord in accordance to how he has blessed me. It's not about a percentage. It's about stewardship. It's not as if I owe God 10% portion of my stuff, but the remainder is mine. Actually, it's all his, right? I'm just the manager. Let me mention a book here about, uh, written by Craig Blomberg entitled Christians in an Age of Wealth, A Biblical Theology of Stewardship. I'd recommend that. Blomberg points out, rather bluntly I should add, that those individuals who are earning above median income for a certain community, being more well off, should be able to contribute a substantially higher percentage than others in the community. And Blomberg also points out that this really is a test of sanctification. How we manage the Lord's money is an indication of our spiritual maturity and the degree to which we're fully sold out to the Lord. Think about this. When Paul was in Corinth, he supported himself by tent making, not depending on the church. And as we've already noted, this was a church that probably could have afforded to pay Paul. But in this regard, Paul served as an example to the church in Corinth as well as to us. So there's the collection. Now we turn to travel travel plans. Next point in your outline, entitled that, Travel Plans for Paul and Timothy. As we read this section, I want to notice the various relationships mentioned here, especially paying attention to the many references to what I'll call connections, okay? Verses 5 and 6. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Here Paul informs the church of his travel plans. He's intentional about wanting to reconnect with them. He's writing from Ephesus, plans to visit Macedonia to the north and come down to Corinth. Fun fact, things don't always work out as planned. Again, 2 Corinthians offers details as to how plans changed for Paul. Some quick background on hospitality is helpful here. During this time in history, in the first century, hospitality was very much a necessity because of the sketchy and often even dangerous situation in the inns that were available. So when you think of hospitality, don't think a dinner party. Think about someone staying with their host for perhaps an extended time as necessary. This is true of Christian hospitality to travelers in the first century in general, but even more so important if the uh, recipient of your blessing is the Apostle Paul, founder of the church. The Corinthians would feel honored to have such a guy, such a prominent teacher, come and stay with them. That's not to say there might not be some awkward moments. We've already seen there's some conflict in this church. Not everyone connected with the church in Corinth is equally keen on Paul. 
He will spend much of his letter, 2 Corinthians, defending his right and authority as an apostle. Perhaps that's part of the reason he mentions that he's coming. He may be giving notice for folks to rethink their attitudes and behaviors before he comes. But he's also given advance notice about the expectation that he has of their readiness to help him financially. In fact, when he says, so that you may help me on my journey, he fully expects, and the church would understand this, that this means the church will offer financial support. The scholars tell us that the wording used here commonly is used for helping people engaged in mission for those that have that financial need. So here it is. Paul expects the church to contribute to the missionary effort of the gospel. Now verse 7. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So here we have the founder of the church, the Apostle Paul, this missionary coming to planning to spend some quality time with this troubled and maybe troublesome church. He doesn't want just a quick visit. We know the Apostle Paul invests in deep relationships, heartfelt connections, tearful, prayerful interactions. This is Paul and his churches. For Paul, relationships matter. Connection is important for gospel ministry and for the right working of the church. So Paul plans for an extended time, not just a hurried stopover. Notice he uses the phrase, if the Lord permits. Paul recognizes that plans can change, as we've heard. They do change. It's always prudent to keep this in mind when you make plans. Recall the country saying that I grew up with, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. But Paul continues, verses 8 and 9, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Although Paul has affirmed his desire to come visit, he explains that for now he'll stay right where he is in Ephesus. And he explains why. The door is wide open for the gospel, for fruitful ministry. God is at work, and Paul intends to continue to faithfully serve. At the same time, though, there are many adversaries. Luke mentions the adversaries in the book of Acts. Recall the riot stirred up by Demetrius and his co-workers. But here, Paul doesn't seem particularly concerned. He simply states the facts. But let's not miss this. When the word goes forth, there will be opposition. Count on it. And don't miss this. When the opposition opposition comes, the stalwart missionary will stand firm, recognizing that there are also open doors for the gospel. Moving on, Paul also shares his plans, his uh, plans that Timothy will be traveling, his travel plans, verses 10 and 11. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. More connections. Paul instructs the church to receive Timothy and treat him well. He is Paul's representative, and as such, some who might reject Paul or his teaching might be prone to treat Timothy with dishonor. 
This letter from the apostle makes it clear that they are to receive the agent just as they would receive the one who sends him. Embedded in this directive is also the implicit instruction that the Corinthian church lend support, comfort, encouragement to Timothy, as well as meeting his financial needs as well. Sending him on his way in peace would mean that the church had done so, helped provide for his journey back to Paul. The identity of the brothers mentioned here is not real clear. For our purposes, let's simply note this. Timothy has traveling companions. There's a band of brothers that comprise the team. This is a crucial component of Christian ministry. We don't do it alone. Once again, Christian connections for ministry. This leads us to our next point in the outline, number four, getting practical at Orchard. This is where the elders want me to spend some time, just some details about how this works out in our church. As we begin, I want to take a quick moment to just reflect on one aspect of this letter, and it's, that's its significance for mission. Many of you will know that one of my roles here at Orchard is to be sort of a champion for missions. So I might tend to take a look at biblical passages with a missionary mindset. You might say that I look at the scriptures through missions lenses. Sure enough, there's my lenses. And I look at the word and there it is. All through the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, a missions letter from a missionary. But wait, when I look out here, what do I see? Missionaries. You're all missionaries. I told you these are amazing glasses. Well, enough of that silliness. I don't want to mess up my hair here. But here's our missionary letter, right? You get the point. Paul's intent is that his readers be mission-minded, be ready to give both financially and through personal connection. So let's apply this to Orchard. The best way to do this is to use the language we use repeatedly. Here at Orchard, we believe and practice this. Every member ministry, every member missionary. That pretty well sums it up. And it applies to both of our sub-points in your outline here. I've written down faithfulness in giving financially, collections, faithfulness in giving relationally, connections. All right, so if somebody asks you what the message today was about, there's your two-word phrase, right? Collections and connections. Now we can uh, go home and have lunch. No, let's uh, just note here that these are not watertight compartments. There's often overlap between giving financially, giving relationally. But let's first talk about giving financially. Some scriptures, the scriptures give us some general principles that I want to review real quickly. We picked them up in our passages and beyond. We are to give in obedience. We are to give repeatedly. We are to give with generosity. We are to give with strategy. Plan ahead, think ahead. We're to give with integrity. Keep those things in mind as we continue here. And I want to talk a bit about budgeting. Think Dave Ramsey or Crown Financial. You know in your own lives, basically, we build a budget to tell our money where to go to work for us. 
Before that, sometimes we need to run a diagnostic test to see where it's going. Maybe you've heard this one. Money talks, I can't deny. I heard it once. It said goodbye. So where does the money go? Well, a review of our checkbook or a bank statement can tell the story. Where have I invested my money? Or more accurately, the Lord's money. As individuals, we need a budget. So does the church. We're stewards of the Lord's money. When we take up an offering, it's the Lord's people giving to the Lord's work. We do this as an act of worship when we gather. During this COVID season, we don't pass the bags down the road like we used to, but there are other ways that we can give, right? A couple of thoughts related to integrity. The elders do not know how much people in the church give. We don't want to. We never want to. This is one way that the, one way that the deacons help us out so much by counting the money, taking care of the deposits and the bank business. This way there's no temptation for us to be swayed in any decisions about how we treat someone differently if they give a little or a lot. Also related to integrity, we have two deacons count the money, so everything is above board and above suspicion. So now back to how we handle finances. Let me mention three ways that this works. When we set our church budget, it includes a significant amount for support for our missionaries. We plan ahead for this with strategic, prayerful thought. Because we don't allocate a lot of money to salaries, we can give more. You can see the missions wall downstairs to see the current list of our missionaries that we support regularly, budgeting through for that. Secondly, we have a category that we call designated giving. You can write a check, include a note with it that directs us where to go for an approved ministry or an approved missionary. We see this as a pass-through gift. Thirdly, you could give directly to a missionary through the agency that they're with. For example, the Sullivans are in the process currently of actively building their support team. Much of that includes financial support. You can give to the church or you can give directly to World Venture. There are different ways to do this. But however you do it, just remember what a blessing it is to be able to invest in the work of the Lord. Can I just interject here how exciting that is to think about? Maybe by this time next year, Lord willing, as the Lord provides for the Sullivans, we'll have another family on the wall downstairs featured, and halfway around the world, there's the Sullivan family. How cool. And of course, Lisa Larson is roughly on the same trajectory. We could have two homegrown missionaries right from our own church. Love it. So in addition to full-time missionaries, we also periodically send short-term teams in various fields, or we provide opportunities for various mission projects people can give to. Sometimes we highlight this around the Christmas holidays. So as the Lord leads, people can give to meet that need. So here, let me just review a sort of rapid-fire, quick review. I won't catch everyone, but a couple of places around the world where we've sent teams on a short-term basis. Myanmar, start there. The Tates, the Carmichael girls. Nick Sullivan has been there as well. To India, Kristen Carmichael. The entire Brower family 
for a whole month, ministering and caring, that's connections. But this is a question that I have. With so many worthy causes out there, how do we decide where to allocate our funds? What will be our particular niche for missions? It's impossible to be all things for all people everywhere. Here's a principle we learned when we went in our training before we went to Indonesia. And that is this. A need does not constitute a call. So, Lord, where are you calling us? We need to be very discerning and prayerful about where we partner with needs. I want to remind us of Bentley's thoughts a few weeks ago as he spoke of the work in Myanmar that the Sullivans are going to team up with. He shared that our partnerships should be directed by these five principles. One, relationships. There it is, connections, right? Bentley reminded us that he's coming up on 20 years of connection with Brother Cap there in Myanmar. Number two, connect with the nationals. Again, Brother Cap and his work and his team and the, the school there. Number three, support strategies that have worked. Here, Bentley reminded us as Nick and Vicky go with CHE, Community Health Evangelism. That's a group that has shown to be successful many countries for many years. It's a thriving work. Number four, strategically utilize education, training, and equipping. Number five, involve young adults. The school there, Southeast Asia Bible College and Seminary, that's what this is all about, young people and the thriving training ground. So principles like this are very helpful. And consider these that came from a recent Nine Marks article. Just catch the title. Send missionaries, inspire senders. So the author makes these three points. Support financially. Send your best. Of course. Hold the rope. Here he's using the illustration that William Carey used when he was asking people to support him before he headed to the field. William Carey said, I'll go down the mine shaft and mine for this treasure if you all will hold the rope. So another author borrowing from the military world says this, for every soldier on the field, there are nine back in the background that are working to allow him to serve there in that role. So here's three ways that we can hold the rope as churches. Visit supported missionaries. Extend hospitality to missionaries. Keep a missions focus. So here we are. Get your lenses and preach it, Reed. Yeah, let's, this is missions. All right, so then there's another title of a recent talk. Pretty straightforward exhortation. Be generous. Give people and money. So that was what this author said. We are giving of ourselves and we are giving of our funds that the Lord has provided. In my role with missions, it falls to me to respond to many inquiries and pleas for support from various missionaries, no doubt many of which are fantastic. So I'm the one who gets to compose a thanks but no thanks letter, trying to encourage them in their endeavors, but also informing them that our resources are, thankfully, 
well-employed and solid ministries with folks with whom we are already connected. That's what we value. We value knowing and actively encouraging and meaningfully shepherding our missionaries. Because the key value here at Orchard is that we're a family. We know and care for one another as brothers and sisters, right? We want connections. And that leads us to our next subtopic, faithfulness in giving relationally, connections. This happens both informally and formally. It happens organically and institutionally. An example of how this happens formally is our missions connections meeting. You'll see in your bulletin that we have one coming up September 13th. Please join us. The purpose of this group is to provide encouragement and prayer support for our missionaries as well as to receive updates from the field periodically. So this missions connection group takes the lead in providing missionary care. We look for ways to bless them, such as hosting missionaries when they come back home and providing housing and transportation and being a blessing to them. There are other ways to connect, less formalized, texting, email, Facebook. Facebook? Yes, Facebook can actually be used for good and not just for evil. All right, I'm kidding. No, actually, I'm not. Please be careful how you use that powerful weapon. But it can be a great blessing to our missionaries. So here's another example of encouragement. You can talk to Dick and Peggy Clark, known to Uncle Dick and Aunt Peggy in many circles around the world because they send out care packages to missionary families on a regular basis. And also, birthday or anniversary cards that go out either by mail or by the Jackie Lawson cards. There's probably some of us here, missionaries, here at home that have received these blessings from Dick and Peggy too. Previously in this series in 1 Corinthians, we learned about spiritual gifts. Every Christian has one or more. And every Christian needs to make use of these gifts to serve the Lord by serving his church. Again, it boils down to stewardship. Everything we have is not ours to have. It belongs to God. Our very being belongs to God. I've already mentioned the deacon's role in handling funds with integrity, but the deacons provide huge assistance to the elders when it comes to connections, too. These guys might check in with you, either formally or informally, to see how things are going. They volunteer their time to prayerfully administer the benevolence funds that our church members may need. This is an example of a ministry that does both the financial and relational giving. And the deacons are such a huge blessing to our church. The deacons, their wives, and how they serve... Wow. And there's more. Listen to this list of serving saints and all that they volunteer here at Orchard. I'll just rattle off some bullet points. Volunteers. Consider the number of hours given by volunteers at Camp Elam. Consider those who give of their time to just make church function in every capacity. Set up, tear down, audio, visual, sound, music, Sunday school, Awana, everywhere you look. Consider connecting women. 
Did you get, notice the name of that group? Connections everywhere at Orchard. Consider home groups. This is a huge way to be connected in a close-knit group. And if you're not in a home group, talk to Ben Lewis. He can get you set up. Consider the time spent on preparation and teaching of lessons, Bible studies, preaching. Consider how people such as the Grauman's extend hospitality to open their home. Consider the sacrifices made by those married to an elder or a deacon or others who really serve in any ministry in the church. You share your spouse with us. Or kids, you share your parents with us. Thank you for doing that. Consider the people I forgot to mention. Forgive me. Your reward is in heaven. There's so much of this. Honestly, church, you all know this because you already do this. Our church functions on every member ministry. I'm so thankful for you all. But if you haven't found your niche, talk to us. We can help you find where you fit in. So, great job, church. Thank you for your generous giving. But I want to challenge us to think and pray about what the next level might be. We did this at our elders' retreat and just perfectly thinking and opening ourselves to, okay, Lord, listening, how might you guide us in ways that we could enrich our fruitfulness and expand our ministries? At the same time, I want to hasten to add, I am not trying to just pile on the guilt that you have to do more. We're not asking people with a full plate to just give more if you're tapped out. But let's be creative and think carefully about where God might be calling us. So pray for us, for wisdom in this, for our church. Speaking of prayer, this is perhaps the most important of all, prayer. It would be a sermon unto itself, which it would have to be, but think about this. Prayer connects us to our Father in heaven. Prayer is the most vital and most powerful connector that we have. So we can't say more about that, but we, we know that it's important. Topic for another day. For now I want to return for a minute to the phrase in verse 9, where Paul says this, A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Open door, opposition. Which is it, Paul? I'm getting mixed messages here. Make up your mind. No, not really. Brothers and sisters, this is the life of a missionary. Open doors, opposition. This is the life of the Christian, isn't it? The Christian life. So think about this. We have an enemy. When you're on the front lines, you can expect to have adversaries especially the one who, capital A, adversary, Satan himself. So when you face opposition, don't be alarmed. What if a football coach sees that a particular place in the line, the opposing team's breaking through a certain place in the line, doesn't it make sense, sense to strengthen up that place by putting his best guy in that spot? Maybe God has you right where he needs you. So be faithful. Where there's the most opposition, there's the most opportunity. So don't be alarmed when you see the enemy is attacking. Instead, 
Take heart. Be strong. Be faithful. So, there it is. Resurrection to collection. It's because of the good news of the gospel and our future resurrection that we can joyfully participate in giving. Generosity and the gospel go hand in hand because, let's face it, the gospel is generous. Think about this. To give is very Christ-like. Here at Orchard, we want to be intentional about this. Revealing Jesus in everything we do. Did you know that when you give, you are revealing Jesus? He gave too. With outrageous generosity. Do you know him? If not, you should. You must. He's amazing. Think about the generous gift, the price he paid in order to be connected with you. Be amazed that he would lay down his life in order to invest in you. He purchased you. So please come talk to me if you want to talk about giving your life to Christ. Come talk to me about any of these things. There's much more I could say. I've left a lot out. But for now, would you please stand with me as we close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that this is not about guilt, but rather about gratitude for what you have done. What more can we do but respond in heartfelt thanksgiving? We sing your praises and we pour out our love and pour out our lives and we give financially, not to pay you back, my goodness. Never could do that, but just simply because you have taught us that this is how we can love you and love our brothers and sisters. Help us to invest in the work of the Lord, abounding in this. Where else could we spend and be spent where dead people can receive life through the gospel? So, Lord, make us a church of missionary senders, supporters, prayers, givers, and some of us goers to your glory, Lord. And we beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. And now as we close, we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.